You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I pray this morning we would do just that, that we would magnify the Lord and that we would exalt his name and truly come to church with the heart of worship for God. And that is, uh, that is my prayer, that God would be lifted up, that he would be magnified. A lot of things just uh, transpired going on today. I pray that we just would dive into the Bible and just look at God's goodness, his love, and see it unfold before our eyes. And I'm, I'm excited about that. It was definitely neat just even hearing uh, Brother Jordan's, just the title and his message, um, as I said in the back there. Uh, I, I still end preaching on heaven, uh, but a little bit different route than originally how I labeled it. Uh, the title was going to be, I Need a Vacation, and it was heaven in mind. Uh, but then I started reading over the passage, and uh, God just began to truly just call out and pick out one word. And we'll, we'll look at that here. And just did a, a word search on that one. And it just was, it was refreshing. It was sw- a sweet time. And I know I'm going to fall so short trying to depict to you what God did for me. But I just pray that there would just be a glimpse of a little bit of it. I'll give you several uh, verses that you can write down and jot and do your own study. But my prayer is just to catch a glimpse of uh, just just God's goodness and how he portrayed that to me uh, through these verses. Re- Revelation 21, uh, 1 through 4. And I really would, you know, I would love uh, to read the entire chapter going into Revelation 22. We're talking about heaven now. Don't tempt me here. Uh, we're looking at these wonderful verses of what the new heaven, new earth will be. And then I told myself I'm not going to tell those guys if they can sing more songs than I wanted to. I want to talk about all the goodness of heaven and sing. Uh, But we refrained, and let's just talk about what God has for us today. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Now, I am not going to be able to to break it all down in order so it all makes sense to you. Uh, But here is John. uh, He is using... uh, uh, just symbolism and metaphors. He is going to bring things so that the, the Israelite, the, the people of that time, the un- can understand what is going on. Because we're talking about something we cannot see, uh, something heaven that we don't know what it is. And he is going to try to depict it to us. And how he uses that is very common in the, in the Jewish culture there. He goes on to say a new Jerusalem. And I've read past that many a times, but that specifically to the Israelites would have been just a a time of holiness. Jerusalem, everything transpired. We have, you know, small little epicenters, New York, uh, LA, maybe if you count San Francisco, DC. These are things that some major things happen all throughout, but it's not the main hub. New, uh, New Jersey, New Jerusalem, that was the the main hub there. And when John said a new Jerusalem coming forth, it quickly grasped their attention here. Uh, Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is just, this just started coming over me right there. God switches the roles. The church, as we know, is the bride of Christ. And now God talks about here uh, that heaven is being prepared like a bride for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Uh, just that word dwell. Just started looking over there and did a little brief of a study and wanted to look at that. And today, uh, just want to have heaven on earth. That's the title and that's what we're going to try to have today. And just like uh, Jacob, as he had that dream, woke up and said, surely uh, God, is, God is here. He is in this place. And that is our, our prayer today, uh, that just God would be here in this place speaking to you. So it's going to be a little different of a message, if you would call the 30,000 feet view, it's going to be an overview of the Bible, and I am, this is not going to do justice, this should be uh, definitely preached, each specific point uh, should be a sermon in and itself, so I'm going to go quickly, I'm going to, of course we know a lot of the Bible, uh, but so often, at least for me as I read the scripture, I kind of just dive in. I'm in that chapter. I'm in that book. And it's good. And it helps me. I pull out truths. But then just take a step back and to see through Genesis, through Revelation, how God is intertwining everything together. And it's going to do, humanly speaking, a poor job of it. But if you listen and if you just ask God to speak to you to open up your heart and eyes, I believe he will. So it's going to be more of a a bird's eye view. It's going to be Genesis through Revelation and every book in between, bless God. Uh, But it's going to be a great time there. And so uh, it won't be long, you know me, but I will have a timer and we'll try to wrap it up. And I hope it will be a blessing for you. But just looking here, just looking at, at what God has done, uh, and I know it shouldn't be all said in one specific sermon, but just was overwhelmed uh, just by God's greatness, by his awesomeness, that all these dots started connecting. And so oftentimes I just read a chapter, I'm only dived into that one, and to take a step back and to see all of God's marvelous plan, his redemptive narrative. The Bible is, is a story. Now it's not it's not a fairy tale. It's a true historic story, but it's God's story to us. Just like if you were to watch down and sit down through a movie, you know, I am one thing. My wife will pick a movie and she will fall asleep 10 minutes, maybe 30 minutes into the movie every single time. It can be the lamest movie only for her liking, and I am glued to it. I don't even care about it, but I, I watch it to its entirety, and then I turn off and say, that was a waste of my two hours. Why I can't make that judgment call earlier on, I don't know, but I watch through it the entire time while my wife is uh, sleeping like a beautiful angel next to me on the sofa. But then I look at that. That's how we watch movies. We don't watch movies in two-minute segments over the course of two months. But yet when we read the Bible, it's all of God's stories. And I'm not saying we can read the Bible through in one sitting and just grasp all of it. But that's what today is. It's going to be a step back instead of just diving in one specific thing. We're going to try to look at see what God is doing uh, from the start. And so uh, we'll be in Genesis. I'm not going to read every single verse, so if you would like to do a little bit of study yourself, you can write the verses down and you can look into them. I pray it would be a help to you. But let's pray. Heaven on earth. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful morning. I do pray, Lord, uh, some way, some, somehow, Lord, that it wouldn't be me that would speak. Uh, Lord, my words can be jumbled. They can be uh, just gargled on, Lord, and uh, not even know what's being said. I pray that you would truly, uh, just like uh, the different uh, apostles as they preached at Pentecost, how they could hear in their own language. Uh, Lord, I know what's in my heart, and I know I don't have the human talent ability to convey that. But I pray that you would do so through me, that the Holy Spirit of God would take the truth and apply it in each and every one believer's heart, please. Uh, In Christ we pray. 
Amen. So heaven on earth. When we think of heaven on earth, it's a some people go to a hidden oasis. Maybe it's a, a sweet spot. It's a vacation. For some, maybe it's food. And that food tasted heavenly. That food was just delightful. And you have a couple experiences. I hope you do. Uh, me and my wife, we've ate at some, uh, occasionally some good restaurants. Uh, would have been during our engagement. Uh, one, one would have been during an anniversary. And it was, it was an expensive restaurant, so we don't go there that often. But the ability for food to send tingles all throughout your, your head, your body, it is just an amazing feeling when you're eating food and it is heaven on earth. And that is what we get those little bits and pieces. Sometimes uh, you eat a cookie. I had a cookie delivered to me today and normally I wouldn't have eaten it before preaching, but the title of the message was heaven on earth. So I thought what better way to prepare my heart than to eat a cookie. And so I had that cookie and it was a blessing. And that is what is helping me speak right now is the cookies from Miss Heather. Thank you so much for making those but we look at that. There's a picture in Oregon. We drove to a, a lake house for a family retreat. This place is literally called Heaven on Earth. They are Christian. Uh, they have a little Christian book sale and whatnot. And they are home of the famous cinnamon rolls. Has anyone ever seen that? It's on an I-5 uh, going down. You kind of miss it. But that cinnamon roll, all five of us can not only knock out half of that thing. Uh, that picture doesn't, I should have put Jane's face next to it. Uh, but when we ate that, her face was in the picture. I didn't put it in there. But she just was, she was done. She was tired. It wasn't even, it wasn't even, she got too much heaven all in one sitting. And I don't know how you can get too much heaven in one sitting, but it was a little too much, that cinnamon roll there. But that place, heaven on earth, that's what we think of it. Uh, then when we try to break in and think about, okay, actual heaven and actual earth, we look at it as two different dimensions. You got God's heaven, God's place. We're going to God. And then you have earth, the place that we're trapped, the place that we're here, and that place that's just doom and gloom. And, and we can live a victorious Christian life because God gives us that. But that is, I don't know if I'm speaking for you, but I'm speaking for me right here, bless God. That is how I have viewed heaven and earth. But looking at this and looking at how God has dwelled with the believers, I just want to change that into heaven and earth to heaven on earth earth. And we'll look into that. So we're going to dive right in. So please do the best you can to follow along. Even if I don't think you're paying attention, I'm still going to keep going. That's just how I talk. I talk and I, people could be sleeping. Uh, there was, I'm going to refrain from stories, but there was a friend. He was drifting. I was talking and he's like, you, you still talking? And he's, it was Donnie Gilch and I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm falling asleep, man. I don't even know what you're saying. Like, That's okay. And I just continued talking. I was driving for like two hours, maybe here or somewhere else. And he still to this day laughs at me and says, I told you, I'm not even listening. And he went on to talk, and that's talking about me there, the whole entire story. So let's get into God's story today and not my own. We have God has from the beginning what we can't fathom. And sometimes what we don't understand is we think of heaven over here as a big circle, earth over here as a big circle, and they don't, they don't collide. They don't coexist. It's just that's God, that's us. Uh, maybe even similar how the deists believed back in the days of Ben Franklin, that God created everything, but he just stands back and watches. I don't believe we have that view. At least we shouldn't. I believe God is personally working in and through us each and every day. But we sometimes can think of it as two different entities, two different dimensions. Uh, but God from the beginning has always desired to be with us. This is a spot that's unfathomable. God, he 
we, we look at the ancient civilizations. Uh, we went to Mexico and were able to see Chichen Itza, which is a Mayan Aztec. It's a ruin. It's their, it's their temple. It's what they would have worshipped and went to each and every day. And it's high. It's as high as the sky, as the clouds. And we're going to look about that in just a little bit because sometimes we get our mindset clouded by when we think of the sky. Well, we can go to the sky. Brother Jordan preached about going on an airplane this morning. We can fly over there. We have drones. We can see pictures of buildings that's in the sky. But for ancient civilization, that was to be in the heavens. That was to literally be as God. God filled the clouds. And we'll look at some verses here in just a bit. But looking at that, the, the Chichen Itza, the Mayans, they would have images. They would have idols. And what's so amazing, the unthinkable thing about God is God has, he didn't create a temple. He created a garden. And inside that garden, he placed man and woman. He placed Adam and Eve to be his image. And think about that word image. We take that word meaning idol. So if you go to a false temple, a false god, they put their own images of their god. God put us in the garden to be his image, to have dominion over everything. And just when you can wrap your mind around that unthinkable, that God would set me, set us because he loves us and he has desired to be with us. And we see what, we know what happens with what man does. But heaven and earth, Genesis 1-1, there's three tiers of the ancient society of belief. Uh, they had the, the number one was water. They knew that there was water all around, but then they had the land, number two, and then they had sky. The water was fearful to them. They couldn't control it. Uh, they, were, they were afraid of it. It could drown people. There was deep creatures in the water, but then they had the land. That was obviously what we're sure of, we're strong of, and occasionally the water would bring forth and it would rain. They believed that we were in a giant snow globe, and it actually would fall and crumble a little bit, and water would come through, and that would be the rain. And then they have the last belief, the highest tier would be the sky, and that would just be where, where the gods would be, where obviously God is, and that would be their heaven. Now, for us, maybe because as a kid, I've learned this stuff, and I just used it to my imagination, I then begin to go on to say, well, the greatest atmosphere is the greatest outer space, the greatest levels of, of the galaxies is now pushed upon heaven. But we're going to look about what God says here, uh, Genesis 1.1. It's simply referred to, God created the heavens and the earth, referred to as the sky. Uh, and then there's several other verses, Psalm 68.34, Psalm 148.13. But the next reference, reference of the word heaven is it can refer to God's space, using the sky as a metaphor to describe God's transcendence over all things. And several verses that say that, Isaiah 66, 1, uh, Psalm 2, 4, Deuteronomy 26, 15. And I'm going to go so quick, I hope I'm not just ramping over these things. Uh, but then the, last, the next word for heaven, uh, we'll hear heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath given to the children of men. The Lord hath he given to the children of men. So we see that the heaven is described as the sky. We see also that the heaven is described as God's space. Then we see another time where heaven is described as earth and land, that God is in the heavens of heavens, but he has given us the land of the earth. And then we see Isaiah 6:3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God isn't literally located in the sky, but rather his presence fills all of creation. And so that is our premise of looking into that God has always desired to be with us. He has always desired, Revelation 21, 4, uh, 3, 
to dwell. And that same word dwell is the same time when they uh, built the tabernacle. It's also the same word in John 1, 1, 14, 1, 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's talking about Jesus, that same word dwell. God, since the beginning of his time, has desired for him, for God Almighty, to be with us for not just for heaven to be some distant place that we never get to until we die, but God from the get-go has always desired heaven to be with us. God, heaven is God's presence. It's God's fullness, and he wants his fullness to encompass me and you. And so that is, uh, that's what happened. That's the definition of the heavens there. Uh, but then you have, uh, we know what happens. Uh, we, we're, man, and, man and woman are placed inside the Garden of Eden, and now maybe you're like me, you maybe dabbled your hand in some garden work. You maybe put some tomatoes up. You've tried some cilantro, and you know that didn't work in the past. You try different things, and every single thing gets to it. It's maybe a little four by four, or maybe you have uh, cute, amazing little raised flower beds, and it just looks so picturesque. But when we think of garden in the Bible, it's not it's not grandma's garden with the little uh, sweet little wheelbarrow that has little dirt and some little flowers sticking out of it. And that is a beautiful picture. The, the, the gardens in the Bible, the hanging gardens of Babylon, they were amazing. It's one of the ancient uh, wonders of the ancient world. It's amazing. They would carve out rivers through the mountains in their time and in their day. They would have 20 different trees, almonds and cypress and figs, things that couldn't even be around that particular uh, culture or temperature climate. And they would have that imported in. They would, they would just make it amazing. And that right there is the, even more than that is the Garden of Eden where God placed himself with man, where God cho chose to have the perfect oasis, the perfect heaven on earth, the Garden of Eden. And then we know what happens. There was the tree of life, but also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the devil uh, tempted Adam and Eve, and they took, and they were banished because they wanted to become like gods. And this particular uh, spiral effect happens all throughout Scripture. Next, you see the Tower of Babel going back into, they said, now that we shall become like God. Why were they like God? Because they built a tower. Now, I'm a kid hearing this story in Sunday school. I'm thinking they're in outer space. I'm thinking, well, how are they breathing? How are they doing all this? And sadly, you think at some day and age, my grown-up mind would overconquer my eight-year-old self. But I can honestly and sadly tell you, I've kept my eight-year-old mind thoughts as a 30-year-old man thinking that these guys were trying to get to heaven into the outer of outer space to where they couldn't breathe. And I'm thinking, well, why didn't God just let them keep on building? They would have died and suffocated. But their ancient civilization was this, that if they got to the sky, that was the highest tier of their belief. They became as gods. Just like when Eve was tempted and took of the fruit and devil said, you shall be like gods. Now they said, we built this great, a tower that we will now be like gods. And God, once again, he dispersed them. He sent them away uh, onto babbling, on, onto doing different things there. And, and we see uh, that that's what they did. But then just like God continued that remnant, God then brings up a man called Abraham. Amazing thing. Every time man ruins it completely, God has that longing desire to be with us. He has that longing desire to have heaven on earth. Why? 
I can't even understand. I mess up so much in my own life, but I keep coming back to that. God is so good. He is so loving. He continues to strive to be with me. I don't know why. I am just a simple sinner, and I make the same mistake sometimes over and over and over again, but God is still there with loving arms trying to help me get back up, and that's what he's done through the beginning of time, uh, human time, obviously, there. God is not bound, bound with time. But now we, have, uh, now we have Abraham. God makes that promise through Abraham. Are we tracking? Am I going okay? Are we listening? Is it fascinating to you? If not, you can just say, I thought Pastor wasn't here to say next time for sure. I'm just going to catch it online. But there we go. You're here. You're online watching as well. I, this is amazing to me. And I hope that we can just stop and catch all of God's wonder and splendor. Now we have Tower of Babel become like God's same mistake again. God raises up Abraham, and that's when it starts getting real sweet, child of God. We know what he begins to do. He, he's going to offer up Isaac, and that is going to be one day to point to the promised Messiah, but that's not get too far. Then we have Abraham. He begins to raise his kids, his grandson Jacob. Now, you might have heard once again, I'm not I'm not blasting the Sunday school teachers, but my seven-year-old mind never leaves that realm. I hear a story and I make some great invention in my mind and I don't, I just leave it and I, I allow it to be a part of my life. And I'm thinking that, jo, jo, uh, not Joseph, Jacob's over here just sleeping on rocks as pillows. And I'm thinking, why would anyone sleep on a rock as a pillow? Was there not any type of moss around? Could put a soft little bed around you? He's sleeping on this. It doesn't make any sense. I'm so confused. But then we look at what Jacob is, what God is doing through Jacob. God knows what he's going to do. He's going to bring forth the Messiah through the seed of Abraham. But still, even in God's time, that's still too far. Even though God is outside of time, God wants to still have heaven on earth for every generation. He still wants to have heaven on earth for every single person, even though Christ had not come yet. And then we have Jacob's uh, dream. Let me look here in verse, uh, Genesis 28, verse 16. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. That was heaven on earth. We learn that heaven is at work more than we think. Uh, just God working through the vision, through the dream of Jacob. Jacob wakes up from it and realizes God was there. Two other times God did just that. The time where Moses saw the burning bush. What was that? That was God on earth. That was heaven on earth. Take off thy feet, take off thy shoes. The ground is holy. That was God, his presence around the area. And then another time of God on earth, pres uh, the heaven on earth, is Moses in, in Mount Sinai when the whole top of the mountain was covered in flames, was engulfed in the flame, and God was speaking uh, to Moses himself. Just amazing. Jacob wakes up from that dream. He dedicates that stone, turns it into, uh, you might even say, it. We, we know this, we, it's, something, it's not different for us, but maybe it never was told to you and you're still living in your eight-year-old mind uh, thinking of sleeping on rocks. He turns it, puts oil on it, all referencing just symbolism of the Holy Spirit, symbolism of God. And just like we have, uh, we go to a funeral site, a graveside service, we have really nice, uh, nice etched marble, nice etched gravestones. And just like that, they had giant stones that they would take up, they would erect, they would build up, and that would become their monument, their temple, and their tabernacle before that time would even there. And it was a sign that God was in that place. Later on, God would build a tabernacle there, just amazing enough. Uh, but looking there, 
at, at, at what God has done. So we, now we're coming back. Uh, we know that Abraham has been promised. We see man, human civilization. We keep messing up. We keep uh, trying to be like God. And now we have God throughout his plan. He is intervening on different men's behalf and he is becoming, uh, coming down to them and touching them uh, and, and meeting through them. And so now we have Moses and here's where it gets real good. We're gonna keep going and pause and linger. So I hope you're listening. You're doing a great job. Now we have the tabernacle and this is the first glimpse of heaven on earth where it pertained God's uh, fullness, where, where, where it had all of God's glory inside the holy of holies. This had not been done since the garden of Eden where man walked with God freely. Now there would be a time, but because man's sin and state, God had a whole lot of rules. And sometimes we go through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and I'll be with you as well. We, we skim over that stuff and it's just amazing. It's there. And many of you are thinking, I didn't realize he could have just read the book of Leviticus and I could have got more of his sermon than what he's saying right now. But here he is. God is talking about the tabernacle in Exodus 25, 22. And there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee. The same uh, dwell, the same meeting word that is used here is used in Revelation 21, 4, when the new heaven and the new earth comes down and that God will dwell with them. Verse number 321, uh, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. This is Revelation. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them. We're talking God and all of his Shekinah glory and dwelling and being with us. Now at this time in the Old Testament, you even Moses could just see the hind parts of God and he couldn't even see God face to face because it was too much for Moses to hold all of God's glory and all of God's vastness and splendor and wonder and awe. It could not, a human could not contain that. And so God had always used these abilities, the tabernacle, and they gave specific instructions of how it was supposed to be. How it was supposed to be. This was a giant tent. It was just like when you go men and boys camping, except for you look at that one person that has like, all the bells and whistles and you're looking at your stuff and you have ants around it, bugs, and it just looks like a dump and your little son is putting a pile of dirt and bugs on there and that's now our camp where we're supposed to sleep on. Then you look at someone who has like $8,000 of equipment and it's like, wow, they've got a Cadillac for a tent. It is just awesome. That was the tabernacle. The actual tent coverings had gold posts that would, the ones that we stake into the ground that we hold each side, there were gold posts that would hold the fabric together and just even the materials of it, everything was supposed, the whole space was to be made of gold and silver, brass, animal skins, furs, and jewels. It was a big deal because they were hosting the creator God. God was going to come back down to have heaven on earth. So it was to be exactly how God wanted it. And then they go on, read Exodus 25, 31 through 40 and Exodus 28, 31 through 35. And there's examples of garden imagery to much like imitate similar to the garden of Eden. There's flowers, there's all these great almond buds, things that would sprout up. And God has always used that to go back and depict uh, similar, uh, a mobile garden. 
just like we see the meals on wheels going around and being a blessing to this area, God had, they had a mobile tent that would go around and it was a little garden of Eden. Wherever they traveled, it would be there. And we're going somewhere with this. This is how they had God. This is how they experienced heaven on earth in the Old Testament. Man had to follow God's rules and direction, but once again would break this. God begin to use priests in order to, uh, not as we think of priests today, how they can say uh, in different religions, how they can try to absolve your sins. Not so, but the priests would go on behalf of the people and confess the sins of Israel to God so that God could then be at one with his nation. They would all do that in the tabernacle. And God was using all of this. Uh, he was just paving the way for one day for the whole earth to be filled with his presence. So we're at the tabernacle. Now we're already halfway through. You guys are listening so great from this override view. Too bad this plane can't go a little bit faster. Huh? I'm trying. But here we go. We keep on moving. And we have the different uh, things of the temple, uh, much like comparison to Solomon's temple uh, as well. We're not going to go into all those details. Uh, we looked at a little bit of the tabernacle and just seeing the, the things, how God uses these temples, the tabernacle, as overlapping spaces of heaven on earth. So now we have heaven and we have earth. They're not complete because we so know earth is so imperfect. It's filled with ugliness. It's filled with sin. It's filled with hatred. And God can't have that. He is still, love, though, although he's loving, he's still holy, just, pure, righteous. So he has to create these little pockets where sin, there is no sin because of the tabernacle, because of the temple, because of the animal sacrifices. And we would know one day that, well, in this time, they had to continually doing those animal sacrifices because they were just, they weren't, they, were, they didn't fully cover and absolve our sins like the true Lamb of God who would come to fully take on the sins of the world. So we have heaven, and we have earth, and we have different times where they are, right in the middle, where they are overlapping, where heaven and earth is on, is, is here, on, with human at the same time. And the tabernacle and the temple were one of those times through the animal sacrifices. Of course, man once again sinned. There was prophets that offered up strange gods. Aaron made the golden calf, always making it to where we could be just like other gods, just like other things and have their own idols. And so God, through this, you have the fall of Israel. They dispersed, they scattered. Now we're going through the kings and through the middle chunk of the Bible, Ezra, Nehemiah, the rebuilding, the bringing back into there. But here we have getting into Isaiah, getting into uh, some of these prophetical books. You have the prophetical hope. You have another depiction, heaven, or not heaven, Israel has lost all hope. They are in captivity. They're in bondage. But now you see them now they have hope as they read through Isaiah's message. They see that there is a coming Messiah. They see that there will be talk of a new heaven and a new earth. They see that there will be talk of Jerusalem being restored and being a, a Jerusalem of rejoicing, Isaiah 65, 19 says, and having people with joy. That's something that they haven't had since Solomon's temple. They were without that. They were without heaven on earth. Just like many of us, when we go through our life, when we go through maybe a hard year and we say, I just don't know what to do to get out of where we are. May I tell you today that just like Israel needed that prophetical hope, we need to look on and look for the promise, the claim, the hope of that heaven on earth. And when they read through these, we now have the New Testament where everything was answered, everything was pointed to the coming Messiah. It was all leading the way 
through Jesus. And here we have Jesus, John 1, 1, 1, 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That is God, Emmanuel, God with us. So to preface and say, I don't know why God keeps on choosing. I think heaven is way out of my grasp, but yet I keep seeing Bible verses and I keep seeing stories of what God has done through these times of old, that God has kept bringing heaven down to earth. And he does this through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. He now has heaven, and this is going to be, but we know it later on, the, the um, disciples and everyone that saw Christ, they thought it was there right now. They thought this is fully God's kingdom, and we're going to keep on going and looking on there, but we see uh, this was the same sign, that same word dwell is the same word for the tabernacles, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. What I'm trying to tell you here this morning is God desires to be with us. God desires to have heaven almighty down here in your life right now, in your home, in your work. God is designed to give you the most bliss, the most happiness truly as we live that Christian life, just like the children of Israel seeked and longed to get into the promised land. We sing the song, I'm on the winning side. We know that we can claim that promise, but this message is to tell you how to claim that promise, and we claim it by knowing how good God is. And Jesus says, the kingdom, is God, kingdom of God is at hand. Interesting enough, Jesus used that one word more than any other thing that he talks about in the Gospels. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven, as it is in earth. God always went around preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning he wanted heaven on earth for everybody. But once again, man confused that. They thought that that meant right now at that particular time with Christ, he was going to rule and reign and take over uh, Israel from the Roman empire that was oppressing them, but still was not what man had. It's all leading up to what God had. And they took Christ, and we know what Christ does for us. He becomes uh, the temple for us. We, or he came in, he dwelt among us. Uh, he tells the, the hypocrites in John 2 that if you destroy this temple, talking about himself, in three days he would rebuild it. And they was, it was right around the temple that was being rebuilt. And it was already some 48 years of rebuilding. So they're wondering, you know you can't build something in just three days. And that was a coming of God for his temple. And then... Uh, we look here, Isaiah 6.3, the fullness of God's presence is referencing Jesus Christ himself, uh, himself. For in him, talking about Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. Inside Jesus is all of the Godhead. Jesus is God. And we know this, we understand it, but Jesus came to be heaven on earth for you and for me. He came so we can have that sweet life, so we can have that life that would be living on the victorious side. And Jesus, at not only was he the temple, but he also was the sacrifice. John said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. So we had what we had in the Old Testament. Now we have Jesus making it more clear for us how we can currently live. And then we see uh, that not just was he the one that took away the sin of the world, but we see Christ in the Passover. We see Christ in communion. We, we just took communion a couple weeks ago. When we take that, it is union with God. It is union with Jesus. Communion. When we take that, we become just as God, his body, that he died for us, as he poured his blood out for us. We believe when God died for us, 
in, in the Passover, uh, that even as Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us, we take that to remember all of what Christ did for us. We create that to have that union, almost like that marriage uh, between a man and woman. That is the marriage that God has given to us. And then we talk about Jesus, the day of atonement. And so as we conclude, as we get closed, we're talking about heaven and not just, is it just two different dimensions, but that God is longing, God is trying to make heaven on earth right now in 2020 for us. And so we see all these different temples because God has always longed to be with us and how he has done that is through temples, through the Garden of Eden. He's done that through, through Jesus. And now after Jesus died, they still thought, well, what just happened? That was, he was our answer now we're left without Christ. We're left without hope, so they thought. But then we see Acts chapter 2 come in. And if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, this is where it gets even more amazing. Acts 2, this is the day of Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. I never even understood what cloven tongues of fire meant. I never understood any of that. But here we have Jesus, we have God, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Godhead now setting up another new temple. And here's where it gets real sweet. Here's where it becomes heaven on earth for me and you. This new temple is inside of the believer. This new temple, the, the men that were filled with the Holy Ghost the first time, just like when God came over the tabernacle, just like when God came over the temple, there was always a sign of fire and wind. The same exact sign here is represented when they began to speak, their tongues were on fire, not literally or not physically, just metaphorically speaking, because the Holy Spirit of God began to indwell the believers and he began to move on them and giving them a little bit of heaven on earth or God's full presence inside their temple. And that's where it becomes amazing for you and me. Now we have, because of Jesus, because of his blood, his atonement, because of his sacrifice, we are now the temple of God. When we get saved, we become the temple of God. We are literally able to have heaven on earth. First Peter 2, 4 and 5 says, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So this is just, it's just amazing to see all what God has done and how he has constantly desired to be with us. How God has constantly desired to bring heaven and man together. And we still know even to this day that we still keep falling short. Even though we have the promise of Christ, we'll never lose our salvation. And this is, I know I'm, I'm talking on this from a, a big point of view, I'm not trying to take each and every point and dive into it and look at all the different things. And so if I have said anything that makes you think about different things with your salvation, I, I'm, I'm just trying to stay on the topic of heaven and earth and God coming down to us and bringing while we are still living uh, heaven to us. And that is where we are now. We have Jesus as the temple and we're pretty much closing in and we're wrapping up the service. And then we see in Revelation 21, we see God himself dwelling with us. The new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down. And here's what we keep thinking. We keep thinking, I need to get to God. But God keeps showing us that he is getting to us. God keeps doing all throughout history. God keeps coming back 
to us, even when we reject him, even when we blaspheme him and disgrace him uh, as mankind has done, God keeps pouring himself in love. Why? I don't have that answer. I'm not God. God is so amazing and so loving. He keeps on trying to reach down to us and give us some heaven on earth. I'm closed with this last story of uh, this happened in 2018. It was a, a year-long trial. You may have heard about it in the news, uh, but the Dallas police officer, Amber Geiger, come home after a 12-hour shift. She was tired. She was wearisome. Uh, she parks on the wrong floor of the parking garage, but doesn't realize this. I'm just reading quotes from the Dallas news uh, paper from a year or two ago. She goes, she's in the wrong part of the parking garage, doesn't realize it. She goes to the apartment, and finds her door open, what she thinks is her apartment, because she went to the wrong side. And as she goes into her apartment, she sees, uh, she sees the door open. She pulls out her gun and believes that there would be a would-be intruder inside her home. And as she begins to try to clear the home, she sees a man over the table eating food. And she overreacts. She does the wrong thing. She pulls her gun out, which was already, already drawn out, and she shoots the man and kills him. And his name was Bo uh, Botham Jean, uh, Botham John there, and he was a Christian man. His family were all Christians as well. For one year, this intense trial began to take place. They had all the different neighbors that were there, and they just were uh, just tackling on everything to this lady. And she had never, she even the 911 call, she said, I, I, I thought I was in my apartment. She kept on saying that, quivering, realizing that she had shot an innocent person and she was sad and, and this thing and still went on for a full uh, year-long intense trial and she was finally convicted of murder. She was sentenced to 10 years in jail. The very last meeting of the courtroom is when the family would give their uh, victim impact statements. And this is after the jury has dismissed. It's already a, a guilty plea, uh, a guilty uh, finding there, and uh, the 10 years has been sentenced, but now it's just that family of Botham Jean, Botham Jean, uh, B-O-T-H-A-M, Botham Jean. He is there. It's, it's, he, he had passed away. It's his brother, his mom and dad, his family, and then the murderer, uh, Amber Geiger, and it's just them, the bailiff and the judge, and they're giving their, their victim impact statements, talking about uh, to the perpetrator, if you've ever seen anything like this, a very sobering time, a very intense time. Uh, no one really knows how it can be. Sometimes you see people uh, lash out. Obviously, a lot of crying, weeping is during this time. Uh, so as they're having this, this final uh, proceeding, as they have the victim of the family victim talking directly and looking at the murderer, uh, looking what, how she has taken everything away from them. Uh, this is the time frame that's there. Uh, just was a, a, just a really interesting story here. I'm going to go on and continue reading. Uh, Bo, uh, Botham's younger brother, Brant, he takes to the stand to speak, for his, on, to speak to his brother's killer. And what came next was a stunning moment that played out after many had left the courtroom and watched, uh, watched online. Even courthouse veterans wept at something they had never seen before. And just at this moment, as we pause and we think about this story of the courtroom of a murder, of killing an innocent man, something inside of me and you, something inside of our own heart, we can see, we can put ourselves, though we've uh, not in that particular instance, but we can see ourselves because of our own guilt, because of our own standing with God, 
we see ourselves, we see that family, we can see both sides, and the human heart, it wants justice, but we don't even know these individuals, but we can read in and understand where they're coming from. Uh, Brant goes on to say, I think giving your life, this is to Amber Geiger, the, the police officer who murdered her, his, his brother, I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want for you. I, uh, he told her, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't even wish for you to go to prison. And he says this over the course of a couple, uh, two to three minutes, and then he pauses, and he's trying to control himself. And I do have a small clip, uh, but what he says next is just, just unbelievable. He looks at the judge and asks if he can give her a hug. And let's go ahead and play that real quick. This is Brant, his younger brother. And they began to hug and embrace even longer after that and continued to stay there. And what happened even next, the whole courtroom that was in there was already inspired with the moment happened at a time like that. The victim is embracing the murderer, the perpetrator of the family. Uh, this is just an unprecedented time, but we can see uh, just the sweetness of a time like this. But then what happens in the next few mo moments takes it to the next level. The judge, Tammy Kemp, then left the room too, and she left out of her the judge's door and walked out where the jury comes in behind the bench uh, where she reemerges. And she walked over to the, the John family, and that showed the picture there, and she begins to hug the family. This is the mom and dad, the brothers uh, of the family that was killed, uh, that, was, uh, that was murdered uh, by that police officer mistakenly. And she hugs them, and she tells them, I'm so sorry, sorry for your loss. And this judge, she also is a Christian. And then she walks over to the defense table where Amber Geiger still sat. She crouched over. A lot of people didn't know what she was doing. And she handed Amber a Bible. And she said, just read this. And at that time, Amber stood up and went to go give her a hug. The judge stepped back. The judge stepped back. The bailiffs didn't know what to do in that moment. They didn't know normally this never takes place. The judge is never leaving her sight to be with the murderer, to be with the, uh, the, uh, the accuser there. And then the judge stops, realizes it, and then begins to embrace Amber Geiger, and they hug as well. And here's that picture of them. <clears throat> and Amber begins to whisper in the judge's ear something that we don't know what she said. It wasn't heard on the tape. Uh, but then you hear the judge say, Ma'am, it's not because I am good. It's because I believe in Christ. None of us are worthy. And here, when we read that judge when he when she came down and hugged the murderer something inside us longs for God as our judge to come down to be our father and hug us to hug the the wrongful person and that was only done because of Jesus Christ who was able to make God no longer judge but to turn God into father and to turn the judge to give us a hug to give us 
his love to give us heaven on earth. And that right there is how right now in the midst of life, in the midst of panic and turmoil, we can have heaven on earth. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful day. I thank you so much for just for the truth that you uh, shared to me. And I, I don't know how it was delivered, Lord, but you do. And as you spoke to hearts, I pray that you just would captivate us, Lord, in your love. For some reason, you have constantly, Lord, desired to be with us because you are purely love. And even though I know my flaws and I know my shortcomings, and just like Jacob was a man that even, uh, Lord, was a trickster, he was a liar, he deceived his blind father, uh, Lord, but yet you came to Jacob at a time when he wouldn't even have realized it. And Lord, just like that, you come to us when we are undeserving, Lord, when we don't deserve your goodness, and you bring us heaven on earth. Uh, Lord, you're so good to us. Your love is just so amazing. Uh, Lord, it's so sweet to us. I pray that this would change us, Lord, in how we walk and how we live, uh, just to realize that we have, uh, Lord, not you as a judge. We have you as a father, and we can live a life of heaven on earth because you have given your full presence to us. Lord, thank you so much for that. I pray that you just would do a work in the lives of people that are here. May they truly just uh, captivate your love and uh, may they just uh, use that, Lord. To, uh, would you use that, Lord, to bless them and, and just to be so good to them. And I pray that you would even give them heaven on earth for them. Uh, Lord, at this time, I pray that you just would move in our midst and work mightily, please. Uh, at this time, the piano will play. We'll have a short invitation. I ask everyone to stand to your feet. Thank you. You listened great. No, it was a different type of message, but... I pray that we just would pause and stop and ask for God to give us a little bit of heaven on earth, meaning God's full presence inside of us. And God desires that. He is not trying to make himself distant from us. He is trying to bring himself to us. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. If there were a thousand steps between you and God, you'd only have to take one. God is so good to us and he wants to give you heaven on earth. If there is anybody here today that doesn't know if they would go to heaven, it doesn't know that they will have that same Jesus that has given them life, now would be a perfect time. If you don't know heaven to be your home, it would be a perfect time to ask how you can receive God's eternal heaven for you. Heaven that will never separate. When we experience small heavens on earth, it's just that they're small. They're, they're here for a moment and then they, they go away because of sin on the earth. But one day, Revelation 21 and 22, that new heaven and that new earth will come down and wipe away all tears. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc4me.org. May God bless you.